I think when everyone says yes to stretch, they're going to learn, they're going to scrape their knees, but it's okay because if you have leaders that lead with grace and a whole heart, they encourage that. That's the way we learn. Hello, and welcome to the Talent Acquisition Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Dull, and on this show, we interview today's industry leaders in talent acquisition to discuss challenges, best practices, and what the future holds. If you're working in talent acquisition and have always wanted to sit down with your peers at other companies to exchange ideas and learn, well, this show is the next best thing. Join us each week as we bring you a new expert interview and extract their expertise. This episode is brought to you by Sagemark HR. Transform your recruiting practices with leading edge technology. Selecting the right recruiting solutions to enable your strategy is one of the biggest challenges leaders face today. You know technology will help, But searching all the options to find out what will work best for your specific needs can be both overwhelming and time-consuming. At Sagemark HR, we make selecting the right recruiting technology easy. Our proven process has helped companies such as 3M, Comcast, Stryker, Walgreens, and many more. Reach out to us at Sagemark HR for a free consultation to learn how we can help you improve results with less stress and confidently change from reacting to leading. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Talent Acquisition Leaders. I'm your host, Ryan Dull, and today I have a fun conversation with Britt Block. Britt is the Vice President of Talent Acquisition Strategy and the Head of Recruiting for Navy Federal Credit Union. Britt, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ryan. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to our discussion. That's great. Appreciate you joining. So um, let's kind of start out and get into your background a little bit. So if you wouldn't mind, give us a little bit of your background around how you got started in recruiting. That's always a fun conversation, as well as kind of some of the roles that you've held in recruiting leading up to this one. Absolutely. So, you know, it's always interesting to learn from fellow recruiters how they got into the business. I don't think anyone's done it on purpose. I don't think. I was an English major, I actually went to a recruiting firm to find a recruiting job, and they recruited me to be a recruiter. And my first role was with Management Recruiters International. So I think what's, I still get kind of a chuckle out of this when I think back. So I started in 1990, no computers, day planners, you know, we had our written little plans. And when the first day I was on the job, I remember the director just giving me the yellow pages, which for those of you that don't know what that is, that is a paper telephone directory. And so I just started cold calling and my first client was Allnet. It started with A because I started on the A's. I was very judicious about this. So that was a fantastic career. I was in the agency environment for several years, and then I opened up my own firm in 1994. I had that for 13 years. And then in 2000, I had my son, Nick. He is now 22. He's at the University of Central Florida. Go Knights. He's a computer science major. But at that time, I had my son, Nick. When you're a straight commission agency headhunter, you're on 24-7, seven days a week. And I needed to prioritize Nick. So I shut down my firm. Matter of fact, this is also kind of an interesting fact. All of the invoices that were due to me, most of my clients were the J&J companies, Abbott Laboratories, because I did med device and pharma. I gifted all of my fees. Well, I can tell you, those were connections for a lifetime. They never forgot that. But I did go corporate. I'll admit when I first went captive corporate, as headhunters like to call it, 
it was a hard transition. I started at Fifth Third Bank. I was there for four years. They brought me on as an officer of the bank for recruiting strategy. And I was very used to the entrepreneurial spirit. I had a lot to learn about teamwork, collaboration, change management, strategy. So my first year was boot camp of corporate, but I did assimilate. I'll admit the hard way, had lots of coaching. And then uh, I was with IBM for 10 years. I oversaw their North American and Canadian client innovation centers. And again, I was in a recruiting leadership role. And then I ended up at USAA again in recruiting leadership. That one was great, though, because that was a total rebuild and transformation. And I really have done quite a few build outs through my journey with corporate. I currently serve as the vice president at Navy Federal for talent acquisition. And again, it's a rebuild. And I like that because you're not unwinding things. So, you know, it's really neat to build out that three to five year framework and then go quarter by quarter with Milestone. And there's iterations along the way as your function matures, but just everything about it, the teams, the people, the process, the technology, it's very thrilling. So I've learned a lot in the corporate environment. Sounds great. Excellent background, really diverse. And you're right, nobody necessarily sets out saying, I'm going to go into recruiting, but we all end up here somehow, some way and have fun careers with it. So let's talk a little bit about your build out. And you're right, those transformations and build out are really exciting work, not for everyone, not for the faint of heart, that's for sure. But let's talk a little bit about what you're doing and in your current role and the build out that you're leading. So if you wouldn't mind, give a little bit of um, perspective and context around size of your team, number of roles that your team is hiring, and then kind of what you're doing from a build out perspective, what the initiatives are. So Ryan, this one's been interesting. So again, I like coming into clean transformations where you come in, you really learn the landscape, and then you start building out what your framework looks like. What's interesting about here is, I mean, these teams have delivered. They've done an incredible job. We had a record-breaking hiring year in 2021. Year-to-date 2022, we have a 50% increase over a record-breaking year. So they are doing just a fantastic job. What's so interesting about this team is they've been delivering record-breaking numbers with complex niche skill sets in a very volatile market with very limited tools, resources, process. So when I first came on board, unlike previous organizations where there were baseline foundational things in place, there was a lack of maturity with this function. And so, you know, I spent a lot of time doing back-to-back deep dives, one-on-ones, skip levels, key stakeholder meetings, and then eventually started baking out what this is going to look like for three to five years. So again, it goes back to people process technology. So for people, the team was running extremely lean. We have now grown to 180 team members. Uh, It was far less when I first joined. So that's very exciting. And I loved having the opportunity to give that bandwidth for growth, development, personal interests, work-life harmonization. They now have that opportunity to do that while still delivering, but that actually increases performance because they're happy and they're experiencing joy. As far as technology, so we are in the midst of implementing a human capital management system, HCM. 
once that implementation is closed out, then I'll be able to have a deeper look at the functionality gaps. I don't suspect there will be big gaps, but there are resources that talent acquisition benefits from that we do need to build out. So by example, you have the core HCM, which is wonderful because then you'll have a nice ATS and it connects across cross-functional teams, but we still need the power of AI. We still need the power of a robust candidate relationship management system. We still need the power of candidate engagement platforms with mobile first and chat box and texting capabilities. And just simple things like virtual event platforms like Brazen. So we do still have a tech stack journey ahead of us, but that's not going to start in, after the HCM implementation because we want to complement But I'll I'll tell you what I've learned in the past, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Ryan. You know, in the past, when tech stacks were implemented, sometimes they're implemented too prematurely. And what I mean by that is that if you go for it, you may not have the proper upskilling training for teams to understand and appreciate the value of the tech stack, and then you're not going to get the adoption or the usage. So in a way, the HCM implementation was a gift because I like to fly fast and it did slow me down. And it's giving me the opportunity to learn about the teams, what will bring the most value, what will be adopted, what will be used, what will complement current processes and skill sets. So it's a good pause. Yeah, I think that's great. My perspective on that is you're absolutely right, is that all too often, and especially in this market today, I mean, there's over 5,000 different types of recruiting technology, and they're all bombarding everyone in the TA space every single day, talking Mm -hmm. about their features and benefits. And it's easy to get enamored by that and excited by that because most of them are pretty remarkable. But the challenge is when you run too fast and implement and build and invest in a, a robust tech stack before your team is ready or mature enough to handle it, um, you end up compromising the return on investment, or in some cases, even mitigating it and not really getting any return because your team doesn't have the capability, their time is not freed up, um, they're not ready to add the value that they, they truly are capable of um, yet. And so absolutely, you don't want to put, even if you put in you know, you know, the best available stack for your existing needs, you know, do that before you're ready, the likelihood of getting the maximum ROI or business value is pretty low. Classic example of that is like there's always the adage with candidate relationship management or CRM tools is everybody after they put in an HCM or an ATS automatically says, now I need my CRM, now I need my CRM. Well, the gap I usually see is when they do that, they forget that they still have all these manual transactions and manual processes back, you know, downstream. So they put this expensive CRM in place and then none of their team members have the time to use it. And there's so many manual activities in a CRM to maximize it. And so I see that all the time. So you're, you're right. You definitely need to go slow to go fast is the best way to characterize. And, you know, you bring up such a great point too, because, and that brings in the process part You want technology to enable and support a transformation, not create it. And so I think probably one of the biggest lifts that have to be taken care of before you embark on the tech journey is really having healthy processes. 
you don't want to put technology on top of broken processes because once you start cleaning up those processes for whatever reason, risk, compliance, uniform, whatever the case may be, then you end up with PI prioritization and configuration and you're having to unwind systems. So that was also another opportunity a few years ago was just really understanding the processes and getting them healthy before doing all of the neat bells and whistles. It's important work and you need to understand definitely, like you said, kind of where things are at and the most effective technology meets you where you're at. And that takes you, helps take you forward. And even in this market, I always say like the blend between technology and process, they really, it gets very, very blurry because your technology informs your process and your process informs your technology stack things. And so it becomes one very, very quickly, but it's critical to be able to try to at least understand and to the extent that you can optimize first. So kudos to you for taking a look at it and thinking Uh that way. And the only thing I really miss and that I'm craving right now, other than a virtual event platform, because I just love those, very engaging, is AI. Because the speed to market with AI. So, you know, you think about the past with data mining, you go back to 1990 and, oh my gosh, I was sitting on a cabinet floor looking through paper resumes. But even data mining, as we evolved through recruiting history, you know, going on to career builder, going on to monster, and then, okay, then we got LinkedIn and we've got Indeed and we have all these great sized sources that we can data mine. What I love about AI though is, I love that you can put in filtered skill sets and what would possibly take you days to uncover profiles. This would take seconds. I mean, 10,000 profiles. But here's what else I love about it. It also gives you insights, you know, likeliness to engage company vulnerabilities, who's been out there, who's looking. It really streamlines the passive recruitment process and bandwidth is very limited right now for passive recruitment. So any edge we can get would be super helpful. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's extremely powerful and, you know, just about every solution has some form of AI or they at least uh, reference it, but they're all very different. Um, And the true underlying capability is very different. And that's where I would caution listeners to be very careful, but also the power to your point, not only helping to automate, engage, and even prioritize the efforts of of the recruiters is, is extremely powerful, creates tremendous scale tremendous efficiency and improves the experience, not only for the recruiters, but also for the candidates and hiring managers because of that efficiency, prioritization and matching, all of those types of things really add tremendous value. It's a really exciting time to be in in talent acquisition. Oh yeah, it's great. And you know, okay, so you just brought something else up. I mean, you think about our transitioning service members, you know, obviously Navy Federal We're all about the mission and our members. And so being mission-driven, our community outreach is heavily weighted towards military affairs. But when you think about AI, I love the capabilities out there where you can actually build into your website if a service member who's transitioning can upload their resume and have their service life translated into corporate vernacular but then take it a step beyond, there's then skill matching across opportunities across the credit union. So, you know, I am excited about the tech stack, but again, I'm grateful for the pause because it gives me time to learn the landscape. So it's, it's a thoughtful pause. That's good. 
I think it's great. And you never want to be in the kind of ready, fire, aim stage, which uh, I would probably say, you know, I do this for a living and help organizations optimize their technology and build the right tech stack for their needs. And I would say at least 50% of the time I come in and it's, we bought all this stuff. It doesn't work (laughs) together. It's not the right stuff. We've got a mess. Can you help us clean it up? You know, we got enamored. We went too fast. We didn't think this through and now we've got a mess. And so kudos to you. You won't have a mess if you're thoughtful up front. It's always the right way, even though you're anxious to get to what's next and anxious to get to the future. Better to be planful every single time. So that's great. So let's talk about kind of your near-term plan. So understand that you're implementing um, an HCM and, and working through that process. Those are long and arduous processes and best to wait there. What are some of the kind of the, maybe some micro initiatives and things before you get to the tech that your team is working on to optimize themselves? So the first opportunity right out of the gate was operating model. I really wanted to understand the bodies of work and then create role clarity. I felt when I walked in, there was a lot of blended efforts and teams, and I think chaos isn't energizing. I think once we had those clear roles and responsibilities and work streams, um, it was very energizing to the team. So by example, the divisions we have, we have flexible workforce, which is contractors, staff hog, and then we have member contact hiring, and then we have experienced professional hiring. We've got early in career, military affairs, employee referral program, and then we also have executive search. So we really cleared up those areas and gave everybody very clean role descriptions. We revamped the JDs, we re-leveled the JDs. So that was a very exciting time, but we also stood up new divisions. So by example, we stood up internal mobility search. So, you know, that's great. We want to give a beautiful candidate experience when we go to market, but what about internally? Internally is an untapped channel. And internally, we want to provide that same experience. So we stood up an internal mobility search program to guide, support, facilitate that process. Also, we want to make sure that we're taking care of our mill spouses. When they have a permanent change of station, we don't want to lose that talent. So the internal mobility search function within talent acquisition they will help facilitate those moves and serve as a conduit across enterprise to make sure that we're retaining that talent. I think another important journey that we're on that I'm very excited about, while I am extremely excited about our early career program, we've won several awards and it's been very exciting. I also equally support skill-based hiring really want to elevate skill-based hiring. And so with new channel activation, technical schools, coding academies, community colleges, that's a way to really lift up additional talent communities. But you take it a step further, you think about neurodiverse communities and differently abled communities. Now, those are a little bit more complex because you have to consider accommodations and hiring leader training so that they're appropriately equipped to interact and develop and coach and grow those individuals. So that one will be a little bit more complicated. So back to your question, we looked at operating model deeply. We have very clear divisions of scope of work. We still operate as one team, but we have the right expertise aligned to the right bodies of work. And that really maximized the output. 
So that's been exciting. That's great. Sometimes it sounds simple, but sometimes doing that clarifying scope of responsibility, scope of service offering, um, you know, who's doing what, I mean, just some clarity around that and narrowing that focus can add a tremendous amount of value and pay big dividends. So that's a, it's a great place to start. And it enables, like we talked about before too, it enables a great foundation and basis for a jumping off point as you are able to, to enter the next phase of your journey. Well, I think also, you know, when you think about employer brand, when I first joined, we had one brand strategist and I don't know, I don't think anyone really knew what to do with that individual. So now we have three talent brand strategists and we also are refreshing our employment value proposition, the EVP. So that's also really taken off. So we've developed a whole suite of digital collateral. So candidate wow packages, campus wow packages, business unit wow packages. We've created hiring journey documents to help leaders at the kickoff to understand the process with nice infographics, job spotlights. It's just been an incredible whirlwind one and a half year that I've been here. And with the employment value proposition, I think what's really exciting about that, so Navy Federal sweet spot is 100% the mission and the culture and serving our members. And so what we have foundationally as a value proposition will always be here. But where we had an opportunity to refresh was that, you know, you think about COVID, social injustices, financial strain, political wars. I mean, you name it, I can keep going. Candidates have different needs and expectations now. And so we really want to take a deep look at what those needs and expectations are and then what Navy Federal Credit Union can deliver on. And then it goes further. You look at brand personas, specifically with certain job hierarchies like IT, risk, audit, compliance, military affairs, early in career, member service representatives, you know, what really resonates with those talent communities. And so we're taking a deeper look at that. We're very excited. And when we reach the end of that journey, then we will embark on the career site optimization to mirror the EVP efforts. So it's a great uh, mapped out five-year strategy that is going to be a lot of work, but it's going to be fun and energizing. Yeah, I agree. And, and you, I mean, you've done an amazing job already mapping that out and thinking through that. And I appreciate you sharing that with the audience today. That's a, that's a well-designed plan. And you've got a lot of moving parts, a lot of moving pieces, but you've done a really nice job organizing that. So one final question for you uh, would be, as, I, as we always kind of finish up with, you've left a lot of, a lot of knowledge uh, with, with the audience already going through this, but what's some advice that you would provide others in the space, some things that you've learned or some good advice um, to help others uh, maximize their career in, in talent acquisition? So I love that question, and I could probably talk about this for days. I love talking with groups about courageous conversations, proactively asking for feedback, taking risks, failing fast, failing forward, learning from it, do, learn, grow, but really staying in the deep end, meaning, you know, take the stretch opportunities, say yes to opportunities Everybody has a little bit of that nagging imposter syndrome where it creates a pause and they shrink a little bit. And I would just love to see that be uh, combated and conquered. I think when everyone says yes to stretch, 
they're going to learn, they're going to scrape their knees, but it's okay because if you have leaders that lead with grace and a whole heart, they encourage that. That's the way we learn. So that's my answer. Stay in the deep end. No, that's great. It's uh, you don't grow if you're comfortable, right? You have to become a little uncomfortable to learn and grow and, and mistakes are part of the journey. Just make sure you're supported by others who understand that and take the leap. I think that's excellent advice. And we all learn and grow as individuals, the more we stretch ourselves and become just a little bit uncomfortable. I appreciate that. And I think that's wonderful advice. So Britt, thank you so much. You did an excellent job. Thank you so much for joining and sharing your journey and sharing your knowledge today with the audience. I really appreciate you. Well, Ryan, thank you for the opportunity. It was wonderful talking with you and I look forward to staying connected. Sounds great. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Talent Acquisition Leaders Podcast. If something we said today resonated with you, please subscribe, rate, and download our podcast and share the episode with your network. Ready to transform your recruiting practices with leading edge technology, just like our other clients at 3M, Comcast, Stryker, and Walgreens? Then reach out at sagemarkhr.com for a free consultation.